0: This morning's message is a, obviously continuing on the theme we've been on for a while and focusing on teaching these words. Uh, many parents are practically obsessed with making their, sure that their children are successful, or at least trying to do all they can. Sometimes people will move to another area so that their kids can be in a school that they think will give their child a better edge in life. Uh, Some set aside money to make sure the child can go to college or have a trust fund or something like that. Many of us have life insurance so that if our children will be taken care of, if our life was cut short, there are camps and classes and training for just about anything a child might show interest in. And we will pay the fees to be part of those activities and spend many evenings driving to and fro and setting our calendars around the kids' schedules Activities and for many people, that means the family gathering, or the church, takes a back seat to those important activities, because we uh, we know that we want to set our children up for success, and so we feel like that's what we have to do. And yet, for the believer, our minds should be continually set on the things above not the things below. Our outlook should be an eternal outlook, not a temporary one. Our generation is not the first to have this overwhelming concern for our children's success, but really we must ask ourselves that this apparent concern for our children is truly unselfish. Is it not sometimes the parents who seek to leave a legacy? So they work to build more and more wealth. Or the parent will tell themselves that the hours they're working so that the family is left without a parent present for most of their growing up years, that parent will tell themselves, I'm doing it for my children. And yet, the thing that children really need the most is not to be left with wealth, but to be shown the way to live and the way to live eternally. Socrates noticed in his day that parents would work to build wealth But in the end, they were abandoning their children. He said this this as a quote from Socrates, Fellow citizens, why do you turn and scrape every stone to gather wealth and take so little care of your children, to whom one day you must relinquish it all? And so it is that in today's church, parents are doing what parents have done for all of human history. They are forgetting what is most important and focusing on things that will not last and often we do this to the detriment of our children, even while we say, we're helping them." And this morning we're going to consider the next verse in the passage we've been on for several weeks, and it's verse seven, "You shall teach them diligently to your children, and shall walk of them when you sit in your house, and when you walk by the way, and when you lie down and when you rise." We must remember the context of this verse. I know that most of you have been here, so you've heard this context a number of times. But in case someone's listening for the first time, this is Moses speaking. He's a prophet and priest. He's speaking for God himself to the people of Israel. And this is a command that is from the very heart of God. It's not a suggestion or some sort of idealism that we should think about would be nice to attain. It's a command, an imperative every follower of god is to do this moses says this in the middle of a speech where he has just repeated the ten commandments and the greatest commandment so let's look at the full context this is our our passage that really is driving our current efforts to start d6 and all of that so here it is hero israel the lord our god the lord is one We discussed last week, verse 6, these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. We talked about the patterns of the world and how the church in many cases has adopted the accepted practices of the world and how we teach our kids. And one of the biggest issues is outsourcing. We have an entire world system in which for most people, nearly anything their kids learn is not from a parent or family member, but from a paid professional or an internet search. How many of us go to YouTube to learn something? I do. There's nothing wrong with that, of course, but many kids are not even given some basic life skills at home. And so they're constantly searching for answers on how to do something. And this may be concerning enough when the child leaves home and he doesn't know how to wash his clothes or cook food or manage money. But how much more concerning should it be for Christian parents to think that their child has left the home and even after years of church attendance still does not understand the basics of their faith or learned how to discern between truth and error or truth and lies. How many children leave the home and encounter strange doctrines? And because they were not solidly grounded in the truth, they are deceived and they follow a false teacher who can tickle their itching ears. I've watched a lot of uh, YouTube videos. There's a lot of uh, ministries and they have various names that they go by. They call themselves discernment ministries or something like that. And they expose false teaching and error. And I've heard some people say, well, that's not a good, very, very good ministry. They're focused on calling out errors. That's all they do. It's so negative, and it's not a good focus for someone to be in ministry. And yet, Paul and Jesus warned again and again of false teachers, those wolves in sheep's clothing. In fact, in nearly all of Paul's letters to the various churches, he warned of false teachers. Early church fathers had counsels Meetings in order that the church would come out strongly against heretics and their teaching and instead proclaim the truth accurately. These warnings in Scripture are plentiful that there will be those who twist the words of God just as the serpent in the garden did. Paul commanded Timothy to preach the word. We hear that verse all the time, right? Preach the word, preach it in season, out of season why? What, do you know what the why is there? Because there will be plenty of teachers who appeal to the lusts of people so that so those who preach the truth have to continue to be a witness for the truth. Let's look at the whole context. This is only five verses. This is not the entire context, but this should give you an idea of what Paul is really saying. You've heard the verse by itself many times, preach the word. Let's look at it. In this context, I urge you, in the presence of God and of Jesus Christ, or Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead by His appearing and His kingdom, preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. A lot of people think that has to do with the where the sun is in the sky. It actually has, means whether it's popular or not. Reprove, rebuke, and exhort with complete patience and teaching. For the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, but having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions and will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. And as for you, this is again Paul to Timothy, always be sober-minded, endure suffering, do the work of an evangelist, fulfill your ministry. So there's a compare and contrast in this passage to be sure. There are several imperative words in this passage which Paul commanded, Timothy. Imperative word means something that you have to do. You're being told you must do this. So here's the imperative words. The first one is preach, which means to proclaim in a prophetic way the truths of God's word. Why do people say they hate to be preached to? You ever hear people say, don't preach to me? In fact, a lot of churches won't even use the word preach anymore. We don't want to use that word. It turns people off. But we all need to be preached to. So preach is an imperative word that Paul gives to Timothy here. The next imperative word is be ready. Be ready. And then it's reprove. And that is a word that means to bring conviction. People who are reproved will hopefully feel conviction for their sin. Now, that's not all in the words, by the way, of the preacher. It's also in the work of the Holy Spirit along with the word, right? Then reprove, uh, or sorry, rebuke is is more direct than reprove. Reprove is you're calling attention to people's potential sins, re- rebuke is like more direct. You, stop doing this, or you, start doing this. Exhort, that's the next imperative word there, which means to encourage or spur on. And the other imperatives are be sober-minded, endure suffering, do the work of evangelists, fulfill your ministry. These are all with the, what's called imperative tense. It means it's command. This is important to do. So again, those imperative words are preach, be ready, reprove, rebuke, exhort, be sober-minded, endure suffering, do the work, fulfill your ministry. And wedged right in between all these commands is a reasoning for these commands, and it's in verse 3 and 4. For the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, but having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions, and will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. So again, Paul's writing this to Timothy. What is Timothy doing when he's receiving this letter? He's pastoring a church. Timothy is to preach, to do all those other things in the church. Why? Because the time is coming, and really that time is here now, right? When people will not endure sound teaching. They will accumulate teachers who don't preach to them, but tell them comforting words. Like the prophets that Jeremiah rebuked. Who told the people, oh, it's going to be peace and prosperity, when the reality was they were being prepared for exile. So today, teachers do not love people enough to tell them the warnings and commands of Scripture, but they figured out that if you want to win the crowd, you want to get the TV show, you want the book deals, then give them their best life now. And those who accumulate these false teachers who will tell them nice things— they will turn away from listening the truth. And how many of us who grew up in the church have seen many people wander away for that very reason? The danger of false teaching is just as dangerous today as when Jesus warned people about it. It's just as dangerous as when Paul warned people about it. And so today, those who call out the false teachers indeed have a valuable ministry, and it saddens me that people who should know better, and frankly, many pastors who I am friends with, do not concern themselves with precision when it comes to teaching doctrine in the Bible. And when they see someone point out serious error in the teaching in some, of some popular current preacher, they don't rebuke the false teacher. They rebuke the one who pointed it out. Oh, they, you don't want to do that. It's discernment is mean. You're just pointing out error all the time. Why don't they do something more positive? Yet, isn't that how we often learn? Not only by learning the right way, but having the wrong way pointed out to us and then explaining why the wrong way is wrong and and what is the right way. And I know people who I think are solidly orthodox. Yet, when you point out some bad teaching, they'll say, oh, that's the wrong focus. Look at the good things that false teacher does. So stop focusing on the negative. Perhaps now you're thinking to yourself that the preacher today has digressed beyond the passage. I thought we were in Deuteronomy. But I have said everything here so far to drive home this very important point that there must be no uh, mild thoughts, no flippantly throwing away the command to teach our children to the best of our ability the things of God. The basic lies of Satan haven't changed much, but his methods have grown more sophisticated over time. When we release our children into the world, they will encounter lies. They will encounter people who would take delight in destroying their souls. Look at the hate towards children in our world. Abortion. Mutilating kids who have been told they should not be satisfied with how they were born. Telling them that all preferences are equal. There's no moral standards. You can do whatever you want. Not only that, but everyone ought to support everyone else no matter what and how depraved their preferences are. I believe the USA is now a post Christian nation. You'd have a hard time arguing today that Judeo Christian principles are the driving force in our country. Maybe 50 years ago and longer, there was this solid framework. Even believers, uh, even non believers, adhered to societal norms that had a background in biblical truths, but that's not the case anymore. The sooner the church realizes that, the better. If you think that just one more election and things will get better for you, you need to disabuse yourself of that thinking. There's no Christian party in politics. Many of the politicians still use language they know will get the Christian vote, but they do nothing to promote moral values. They talk about it and do nothing. They're outraged and do nothing. Church, it's time for us to realize that the nation is not a Christian nation. But in the church, we don't need to fear this. Christians throughout the history of the church have thrived, and the church has seen growth in some of the darkest times and in some of the most threatening environments. A modern example of that is China, where despite the control of the government and everything they've done, they they track everybody. Everybody in that country gets tracked by the government. What they spend, where they go, everything and with all of that they cannot stop the exponential growth of the church the government has no control over that we're in dark times could God turn things around of course he could I'm not trying to prophetically say this is it we're all downhill from here I'm not saying that just saying what I see right now okay but he will do whatever he has predestined to take place But we can't live our lives as though the world is suddenly going to become a place of morality. I don't say all this because we should leave here shaking our heads and acting defeated. I say this because we need to be motivated more than ever to give our children and every believer the foundations of faith they need to go out into this world. Who among our children may not be the next one that God uses to light an entire region on fire for him? And so we are to teach them diligently these words to our children. And we must realize that what we spend time doing, what we spend time talking about has much effect on them. If you're the type of person who dreams a lot at night, what do you dream about normally? Often you dream about the things that you thought about during the day, right? And so when we teach these things, and then when should we talk about them? All the time. When you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, when you lie down, when you rise. Do you see what's being said here? Now, we don't live in the same environment as the ancient Israelites, but we can apply this easily to ourselves because there's, it's very easy to get the concepts here. When you sit in your house and when you walk by the way encompasses all the geographic areas you might find yourself in. Whether you are inside or outside, you should be talking about these things. When you walk by the way and when you lie down, you would talk about these things. This represents the range of physical motion. Whether you are a body at rest or a body in motion, you are to talk about these things. Finally, we're given the parameter of time. When you lie down and when you rise, the talking about these words, the commands of God, the people are to do it wherever they are geographically. They are to do it no matter if they are moving or standing still, and they are to do it at all times. And this is the living out of verse 5, which says you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. What is one way to love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind? By talking about the things of God, whether you're inside or outside, up, up or down, no matter what time of day it is. As long as you're awake, you should be thinking about, contemplating, talking about the things of God. And if you are doing it at all times awake, guess what you will probably be dreaming about as well. By the way, this is not the first time that people received a command like this. If we go back to Ephesians chapter thirteen, in verses nine and sixteen, verse nine says that it shall be as a, to you as a sign on your hand, as a memorial between your eyes, that the law of the Lord may be in your mouth. For with a strong hand the Lord brought you out of Egypt. And then in verse 16, it shall be a mark on your hand or frontlets between your eyes. For by a strong hand the Lord brought us out of Egypt. And I'm going to be talking a little more about this next week. But as I was reading that verse, I was reminded of an end times uh, thing that we, we all know. The, what's it called? The mark of the? And where is that found? on your forehead or on your arm and so isn't it interesting that the lord wants us instead to have his word as a mark on our head hand and a front lip between our eyes which it means basically something you always are viewing the world through it doesn't mean a physical thing by the way, this isn't the last time that they'll hear from it. If we, if we ever make it to Deuteronomy chapter 11, <laughs> there as well, it says, you shall therefore lay up these words of mine in your heart and in your soul, and you shall bind them as a sign on your hand, and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall teach them to your children, talking of them when you are sitting in your house and when you are walking by the way, when you lie down, when you rise, and you shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. Why is the Bible so repetitive with so many ideas and concepts. Well, there's more than one reason. One is that they're really important, and the other is that we tend to forget things that we don't have repeated over and over. And if we do our job as parents, our children will be more likely to adopt the ways of understanding that God has ordained for his people. And so they will look at things like Proverbs six twenty. My son, keep your father's commandment, forsake not your mother's teaching, bind them on your heart always, tie them around your neck. When you walk, they will lead you. When you lie down, they will watch over you, and when you awake, they will talk with you. If we want our children to read that with knowing what that means, then we got to do those things so that they'll read this someday and say, oh yeah, that's why they kept repeating that over and over. Eugene Merrill pointed out the importance of verse 6, and these words shall be on your heart, is the driving force of verse 7, and he said this, So much so is this the case, to have these things on our hearts, that the covenant recipient must impress the words of covenant faith into the thinking of his children by inscribing them there with indelible sharpness and precision. The image is that of the engraver of a monument who takes hammer and chisel in hand, and with painstaking care etches a text into the face of a solid slab of granite. The sheer labor of such a task is daunting indeed, but once done, the message is there to stay. Thus it is that the generations of Israelites to come must receive and transmit the words of God's everlasting covenant revelation. What a beautiful illustration. You know, you... You, I've never really tried to chisel some words into a slab of monit- granite, but I can imagine I have had, tried to drill into it before, and I can't even do that. So can you imagine how hard that takes? And we're talking about a hard task. How do we teach our kids the things of the Lord? It's hard work. But once you do it, it'll indelibly stay with them just as that chiseling into the rock. I have a book called The Handbook on De- Deuteronomy, and it talks about the importance of all this repetition, and says this, teach diligently. This translates a Hebrew word that seems to mean repeat or say again and again. This meaning is reinforced by the, uh, by the following, shall talk of them. Uh, one translation says, recite them and talk about them. Another says, repeat them and speak of them. And another says, tell them and keep on telling them any of these is a good model for the translator to follow when you sit by your in your house and when you walk by the way this means while at home or away from home which includes of course the whole time the following when you lie down and when you rise is also a way of including the whole day either when you are asleep or when you are awake or when you are resting and when you are working these two constructions are a figure of speech called merism in which the two opposites include the whole subject. Provided that such repetition is good style in a language, the translator should certainly follow the Hebrew. So home or away from home, morning and evening, working or playing, parents, grandparents, uncles, aunts, spiritual fathers, spiritual mothers, friends, all people of the faith are called to be part of this constant reminding of themselves about the things of God. We must remember as well, this was primarily an oral society. People did not have scrolls that they were carrying around, certainly not iPhones and stuff. So repeating the things over and over was like putting them into the library of their mind. And today we have all these reference books and commentaries and word study resources, so we're less reliant on our own memories. Most kids' uh, programs... You know, they'll give the kid a verse or maybe two a week to memorize. But kids are far more capable than we give them credit for. They can understand something of the sermon, even if they don't understand it all. They can memorize when properly motivated in ways that would put most of us adults to shame. We learned this because we did Bible quizzing in South Dakota before we moved here. We had some junior high kids who would memorize an entire book of the Bible in one year, one school year. I'm not talking about Philemon. I'm talking about like the Gospel of John. All the chapters, every verse, and they had to say it back an entire chapter at a time without error to get the credit for the completion of it. Even younger kids could learn three to four verses per night if they had help. But here's what we discovered. Some kids in our Bible quizzing program didn't have anyone at home to help them learn the verse. So for those kids, on Wednesday night, which is when we we met, we would help them the best we could, but without someone at home encouraging that memory work, they could not keep up with the kids who had been practicing at home. Any teacher will tell you the same thing. It's evident when a child has support at home to reinforce their learning. Can I see some nodding heads of the teachers? Okay. (laughs) A child with no help will usually struggle more to learn and retain. How many of us of Christians can quote more movie lines than they can quote scripture about the kids? They can quote all kinds of lines for movies and books and so on, but can they quote some scripture? They can tell you the entire background and history of their favorite book series, but how much can they tell you about the Bible? And as I close, I want to close in a positive way because I know that, All of us probably feel on some level we didn't do enough, or we haven't been committed enough to train our kids in the faith. So let us feel that conviction, first of all. I want to say that. Let us feel it. Because it is God's kindness through his discipline that brings us to repentance. So if you need to feel some amount of shame or grieve over your shortcomings, by all means, do not miss that feeling you're having readily. But the beauty of the cross is that we don't need to remain in our guilt and shame. We can confess and believe and strive to do better. And you here at Oasis Church are being given a wonderful opportunity. When we begin D6 next Sunday, we will be working together to remedy our shortcomings and move forward in a new season of making disciples We want to make disciples of our children, but also we want to make disciples of the world around us because they're in desperate need of the gospel. I also mentioned last week, and I want to mention again this week, that I'm aware that this focus on teaching children may cause some of you to feel you're not part of it. Please do not think that. If you don't have children at home, either because you never had children or your children have grown up and moved on, you're still part of this. A healthy church is like a healthy family. Hopefully healthier than most healthy families. (laughs) But I remember with such fond memories as a child going to my grandparents' house on a holiday or on a birthday or something. And there we all gathered from the babies up to the grandparents all together. Every family has some different individuals, right? Some of us were normal, and some were less normal, right? But there we gathered to enjoy each other and to celebrate. Every child benefited from interactions with their grandparents. We learned something from them about life. We maybe learned some skills from them, some work ethic, hopefully, and they benefited from us as well, They got to love us. They got to pass on that knowledge and feel some importance in their lives. In the church, likewise, we have people from all ages that need to come together and worship as one, and we want everyone involved. So come and join us in this effort. We want everyone there. You may not be a father or mother, but you could be a spiritual father or mother. You may not even be married, but you may end up being like an uncle or an aunt or a cousin or a brother or sister to others in this family. And as I close here, I'm going to say a prayer, but Kevin's prepared a video for us to watch to help us prepare our hearts for D6. So I'm going to close in prayer. And as we watch this video together, let's be prayerful and ask God for his help and his blessing on our new ministry as we do it together. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for the word this morning. Thank you for uh, the opportunity we have to move beyond whatever we've done that's not been up to your standards and we can strive to do better. With your help, Lord, and with the encouragement and fellowship of the saints, I believe we can take steps forward daily and weekly to grow closer to you, to know you better, and then to go on mission for you in our families, in our communities, and even through the world. May you build us up, Lord, in Jesus' name, through your word. Amen. Let's watch the video.